Hey everyone, I'm back. Sorry for the delay on this episode. I won't get into all the details of why it's late, but the good news is it's here, and hopefully the rest of this first season will be able to stay on track. Okay, so on today's episode of Let's Talk Punk Rock, we're going to be looking at a UK punk band that claimed first time and time again. So, whether you got yourself a new rose for the curtain call or just want to smash it up, you'll be saying neat, neat, neat after this one. That's right, everyone. We're doing The Damned. I'm not sure exactly where I first heard The Damned. I never gave them much thought beyond, that's a good song, before doing this episode. But after the research that went into this one, I have a whole new respect for these guys. In research for other bands, I kept seeing them pop up here and there, and that's for good reason. Beyond their talent as musicians, they were there from the beginning and are still performing today. So without any more time wasted, let's get into this. The best place I can think of to start this one is with an audition. Brian James, real name Brian Robertson, responded to an ad in The Melody Maker. This ad was placed by Mick Jones, pre-Clash fame. He was looking for fans of the New York Dolls. He was getting a band together that would become the London SS. Now, you may have a couple questions on why Brian James would change his name from Robertson to James. Well, for starters, there was already a well-known guitar player named Brian Robertson playing with Thin Lizzy, and James didn't want to be confused with that guy. He went with James, as there were plenty of great Jameses out there, like Iggy Pop and Jimi Hendrix. Okay, name cleared up there. James joins the London SS, who you might remember from our Generation X episode. This was the same band that Tony James had played in prior to teaming up with Billy Idol. Brian James' response to this ad isn't the audition I was talking about, though. That comes from a man named Chris Miller, who played drums. Miller auditions for the London SS. At one of his auditions, a rat appeared, and a likeness was mentioned. That, combined with the fact that Miller had scabies at the time, sealed his fate with the still-running nickname Rat Scabies. They liked his drumming well enough, but felt that it wasn't a great fit for the band. Scabies was a fast drummer and didn't like doing the slower songs that the London SS had. Brian James, however, loved what Scabies was doing. Mick Jones has said that it seemed like Scabies and Brian James felt that he and Tony James just weren't up to it. The London SS wouldn't last too much longer. After the London SS breakup, Scabies and James decide to start their own band with Scabies on drums and James on guitar. They then set up auditions for a singer. Two guys are invited to come audition. One is Dave Vanian, real name David Letts. He chose the surname Vanian because it was like Transylvanian and he liked Dracula. His style, however, came more from his love of 1930s era films where they would paint their faces to be seen better. The other invited to audition for the band was Sid Vicious. Vanian decided to show up a half hour early to the audition to check out the competition. Vicious never showed up, though, and so Vanian got the part. Vanian had played with Scabies and James before, along with Chrissy Hind of the Pretenders in a band called Masters of the Backside, which was managed by Sex Pistols manager Malcolm McLaren. That band broke up after everyone was tired of McLaren trying to control everything. Now that Vanian had the part, he quit his job where he was a gravedigger, which he enjoyed as it wasn't difficult and required little mental effort. The only missing piece to the band would come with Captain Sensible, 
real name Raymond Burns. Burns took the nickname Captain Sensible as he was anything but. With Captain on base, the Damned was now formed. The year is 1976. Their first show is July 6 of that year as a support act for the Sex Pistols at the 100 Club. As the story goes, Malcolm McLaren wanted to charge the Damned for using the Sex Pistols' P.A., He wanted to charge them more than they were even getting paid for the gig, and so, of course, they said no. This, supposedly, is the beginning of the rift between the Damned and McLaren's people. Two days later, they play at St. Albans School of Art, which had no stage. Captain Sensible, still going by Ray Burns at this time, or sometimes Eats, getting the nickname from always being hungry due to a lack of money. During the show, one guy raises his beer, Captain takes it from him, pours it all over himself, and then proceeds to pounce on the guy, kicking him in the nuts. A week after the St. Albans show, the Damned play the Nashville, opening for a blues rock band called Salt. This is the first time Chris Miller plays under the name Rat Scabies. While playing their final song, the curtains close on them. Scabies then sends the bass drum flying through the air and past the curtains. John Ingham of Sounds described the scene as Scabies and James insisting on behaving like twin H-bombs. This, however, does catch the attention of Chiswick Records. They get a basement studio to record in and record I Fall, See Her Tonight, and Feel the Pain. At this point, they are being managed by Andy Chizowski, who we met back in our Generation X episode. He sends these demos off to Virgin Records and Phonogram, which is the Ramones UK label. Virgin never responds, but Phonogram wrote back letting them know that they already had the Ramones and didn't really need the Damned. A couple months later and the Damned are back at the 100 Club on September 20th to play the 100 Club Punk Festival. This was originally supposed to be a one-day festival, but enough bands had been put on that it had to be stretched into two days. The Damned would perform on day two. With a two-foot-high stage... During the show, Captain literally kicks Vanian off the stage, who then flies into Susie Sue, who Captain didn't care for anyway. This was done out of fun, though, and not with any animosity towards Vanian. Also at this show, we have the infamous moment where a glass is thrown at the band, hits a side column, and shatters. A piece of this glass comes back, hitting a friend of the band in the eye. An ambulance has to be called. Who threw the glass? None other than Sid Vicious, who was arrested. Venues started turning away punk bands for behavior like this, seeing them as too violent. Ron Watts also quit booking punk bands at the 100 Club. The Damned begin working with Stiff Records and put out their first single, New Rose, on October 22nd. I got a feeling inside of me It's kind of strange, like a stormy sea I don't know why, I don't know why Originally, Captain wanted to do I Fall as their first single, but he was outvoted. New Rose's release makes it the first punk single to be released in the UK, releasing a full five weeks before Anarchy in the UK by the Sex Pistols. The B-side chosen for this single was the Damned's cover of Help by the Beatles, which they sped up making it just shy of the two-minute mark. 
Sounds calls them the first punks on wax. Chazowski quits as band manager and they bring in Ron Watts, the booker for the 100 Club, as manager. He knew what was going on in the scene at the time and saw the value in the damned. He also agreed to buy them burgers at Wimpy's, which got Captain's attention. Watts is soon replaced by Jake Riviera. The next month, after the release of their first single, the Damned go on tour with the Flamin' Groovies. A short tour, lasting from November 11th to November 21st, this gave the Damned another record. They are now the first UK punk band to do a UK tour. The Flamin' Groovies had been doing a Beatles-style thing at this point and didn't care much for the Damned, who claimed that the Flamin' Groovies were scared of them. The Flamin' Groovies dropped out, stating that the Damned were the worst musicians they had ever played with. Another month forward, and the Damned are on tour again, this time with The Clash, Johnny Thunders and the Heartbreakers, and the Sex Pistols, for the Pistols' Anarchy Tour. Originally, this tour was supposed to include the Ramones, but they pulled out after seeing how poorly put together it was. Malcolm McLaren tried to pass it off, saying that the Ramones were scared of the Pistols, but Ramones' manager, Danny Fields, who we met back in our Stooges episode, said it was because it hadn't been organized professionally. The Damned are mainly invited on this tour because they had already toured outside of London and would have a small following. They bring Rick Rogers as their tour manager. The Damned were not needed as badly after the Sex Pistols did their Bill Grundy interview where they swore on television. McLaren already had issues with the Damned and started to spin stories that places were refusing to let the Sex Pistols play, but the Damned still were willing to. Damned tour manager Rick Rogers gets invited to a road manager meeting by McLaren and Clash manager Bernard Rhodes. He's told that the second show on the tour, the first one had been cancelled, would be in Derby and the city councillors were wanting the bands to audition first. He told Rogers that the Sex Pistols wouldn't audition, but he encouraged the Damned to do it. He also told them that if they did perform, they could ride in the tour coach instead of having to use their van. He was already trying to charge them a thousand pounds to use the bus for transporting equipment, along with, again, trying to charge them to use the PA, which they had no choice using. They refused to pay. The Damned have no idea any of this meeting was going on, and McLaren spins it again to say the Damned are willing to audition, making them look bad. Somehow, I'm not entirely sure how here, he gets Rogers dismissed from Stiff as well. Stiff is a fairly new company and can't afford nicer things for the band, and so they continue to travel in their van and stay at bed and breakfast while the Sex Pistols stayed in nicer hotels with their EMI money. They didn't have any issues with the Sex Pistols, but the managers definitely hated each other from the start. After the first three dates were cancelled, they finally get to play Leeds. The Damned are kicked off the tour after this show, though. McLaren says it's because of them being willing to play in Derby. The poorly managed tour ends with the Sex Pistols only actually playing 7 of the 20 gigs that had been set up. The Damned officially signed with Stiff Records after being kicked off the tour. In January of 77, they begin to hone in on their persona, playing the Roxy three times that month. Captain begins wearing a nurse's outfit, and Scabies starts spraying his cymbals with lighter fluid and setting them on fire for gigs. At the January 13th gig, they are seen by none other than Robert Plant and Jimmy Page of Led Zeppelin. Plant likes them so much that he comes back on the 17th to see them again, this time bringing drummer John Bonham with him. After their set is over, Bonham gets up on the stage and tells the audience to get them back because they are a fucking great band. On Brian James's 26th birthday, February 18th, 
They released the album Damned Damned Damned, making them the first UK punk band to release an album. This album was produced by Nick Lowe and took the band two days to record and ten days total to finish. It is considered Brian James's album as he wrote the majority of the songs on it, including the next single off the album, Neat Neat Neat. The cover for the single had the four of them wearing paper bags over their heads, showing inequality among the group. The band then went on tour to promote the album, which was being well received by critics at the time. It spent five weeks in the top 50, peaking at number 36. The album cover again had the four of them, only instead of paper bags on their heads, they were covered in a shaving foam ketchup mixture. This photo was shot by Peter Grail, who had been assigned by Stiff. The back cover of the first 2,000 copies of the album showed a picture of Eddie and the Hot Rods with a note apologizing for the error. This error, however, was intentional. It was set up as a marketing stunt, knowing that collectors would snatch these copies up for potential future value. The next copies made had a back cover showing the damned performing at the Roxy. In this picture, Captain Sensible is turned away from the camera. Captain figured this was the only album they would be allowed to make, and wanted to be seen better as he had the majority of the mess on his face for the front cover too. They sorted this by putting his picture on the side of the monitor in the back cover picture. Now, although the Damned were either not taken seriously or just not liked by other major UK punk bands of the time, they did hit another first. They were the first UK punk band to perform on national television thanks to their performance miming Neat 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 on Supersonic February 26th. Supersonic being a rival of the better-known Top of the Pops. March 10th, the Damned go on tour as supporting act for T-Rex. They liked Mark Bolan and his fans, and in return, many of the T-Rex fans liked them too. Being the stand-up guy that he was, Bolan would let the Damned ride on his coach and give them pep talks. He'd give advice on things such as how the melody would relate to the notes of the chords, or how you should treat the producer like the fifth member of the band. That spring, the Damned become the first UK punk band to tour the United States. Their first date here is April 7th. They did a four-day booking at CBGB's playing two sets each evening. They played with the Dead Boys, who they had been warned would kick their ass, but were actually very nice to them. Supporters of the New York scene that came to see the Damned here consisted of Patti Smith and the Ramones. Along this US tour, only New York and LA seemed to really understand what they were about. They played a couple nights in Boston. The first night, they played to a crowd sitting at tables, not really caring that they were there. The next night, they decided to move a table and chairs onto the stage and would sit down between songs to eat pizza and talk. Eventually, the audience caught on that they were being made fun of and started chucking their pizza at the band. When they finally got to L.A., the band television had removed them from the bill. According to Riviera, Tom Verlaine didn't want to work with a punk band. Despite this insult, they still decided to go see television perform. Also in attendance were Iggy Pop and Joan Jett. Unfortunately, not playing meant no money, 
and the damned had to crash with the screamers. They did get to perform at the Starwood, where Riviera stayed at the door to make sure nobody was getting in free. The band was hurting for cash and asked the audience for money, which resulted in coins being thrown at them. In true Captain Sensible style, he proceeded to get naked. Once the show was over, the Damned and their new fans went to Cantor's Delicatessen, where a food fight ensued. The LA Times would call them the Ambassadors of Punk. Perhaps the biggest influence left behind is the idea that their fast-paced music may be what sparked the West Coast hardcore scene. Finishing up in LA, the Damned headed back to the UK, leaving Riviera behind. Riviera had decided to stay behind and try to get a record deal for Elvis Costello, who he was also managing. Returning from the US, they headlined at Camden's Roadhouse in London. Captain wore a ballet tutu and threw cream cakes at the crowd as well as Vanian before once again stripping naked. Brian James was getting tired of the nudity as it was becoming a joke to some people. A week later, they're on a continental European tour. May 10th, 1977, they record two new songs. These are Sick of Being Sick and Stretcher Case Baby. Both are written by James, with Scabies adding in on the latter. Here's Stretcher Case Baby. Shell Talmy was selected to produce these songs as their next single. He is probably best known for working with The Who and The Kinks. Talmy didn't think much of punk, but did enjoy The Damned. This would be their only time ever working together, though. Three days later, they start a month-and-a-half UK tour with the adverts. This let them introduce two more new songs, You Take My Money and Politics. Politics was written about how Brian James was seeing punk portrayed and took jabs at the clash and the sex pistols. Due to the poor image of punk rock, venues started canceling gigs, sometimes at the last minute. The tour had a couple dark turns for the band. June 14th had skinheads show up with bricks and pieces of wood. They proceeded to smash windows and toilets, attack audience members, and let the air out of the band's tires. June 23rd, some people broke into the dressing room and attacked Vanian, dislocating his shoulder. June 27th, a roadie gets dragged off stage and is beaten by four men. It was definitely not the fun experience anyone was wanting. In August, they decide to bring in a second guitarist to help take some of the pressure off Brian James. The band was being pressured to put out a second album, and James thought a second guitarist might help. He didn't consult the other members of the band who didn't feel they needed another guitarist. James put out an ad saying, Interesting guitarist into Stooges Damned MC5 wanted for name high-energy band. 
Eventually, they get bored with all the auditions and start doing things like playing with their pants down to mess with people. They recruit 19-year-old Lou Edmonds, real name Robert Edmonds, but nicknamed Lou being short for lunatic. Despite having never played in a band before and not even owning any of the damn singles or album, he was set to perform his first show with the band a week and a half after being invited to join. For Edmonds' first show, they played Mont de Marsan with Strict 9, 1984, Asphalt Jungle, The Lose, The Maniacs, The Police, The Boys, and The Clash. While The Clash were playing their set, Captain thought it would be funny to throw some stink bombs on the stage. This prompted Joe Strummer to announce that they had done it because they were jealous and could fuck right off. Security took Captain and threw him off the stage. Unfortunately for Captain, he landed with the front barrier going between his legs. An ambulance was called for Captain, and as they were taking him away, he took off, attempting to get back to the festival. The next day, a meeting was called to smooth things over between the two bands. September 28th, they released the single Problem Child to preview their next album. It comes to mixed reviews, but does catch the eye of EMI. EMI were offering to sign The Damned for a three-year contract expecting an album and two singles each year. They had wanted to negotiate with Riviera directly, but he never followed up on any of this, and EMI went with Glenn Matlock's Rich Kids instead. Riviera's lack of interest in the deal may possibly be due to a lack of interest in The Damned and Stiff Records altogether, as he soon split from the label, leaving the damned but taking Elvis Costello with him. This really pissed the band off, and they brought in Dave Robinson as their new manager. At this point, Scabies had already been considering leaving the band, and with the exit of Riviera, he was considering it again. He did agree to join the band on their next Continental Europe tour, but only lasted two gigs. At the second gig, he told someone that it was his birthday and was given a handful of pills, which he took. While playing, a glass was thrown at the stage, and Scabies attacked the man he thought threw it. No clue whether this was in fact the one who had thrown the glass, but Scabies certainly thought it was. Later, he attempted to get into a nightclub that was in the basement of the hotel they were staying at, but was denied as the manager thought he was gate-crashing. This upset the drummer, and he went off to the lobby where he threw some cushions around until he was pulled out into the street and beat up. While being attacked, he saw the rest of the band watching. Now, Scabies admits to being pretty delusional at this point, and the next day, the manager gave him money to get to Paris and get home. With Scabies gone, the band felt a little relief. Scabies is a phenomenal drummer, but his behavior could be pretty difficult to handle at times. He would be replaced temporarily by Fred Burke, the drummer for Johnny Moped. November 18, 1977, we see the release of the damn second album, Music for Pleasure. Most fans, and some members of the band included, will cite this as their worst album. That's not to say that it's a bad album, but it is definitely the one most often named as the worst. Somewhat jokingly, they had asked to have Sid Barrett of Pink Floyd to be the producer. 
Barrett, being a notorious recluse, did not produce this album, but Pink Floyd's drummer, Nick Mason, did. They are given Pink Floyd's recording studio, Britannia Row, to use for free. They also bring in saxophonist Lowell Coxhill for the final track, You Know. The album flops and the band is dropped from Stiff Records. Captain Sensible agrees with critics on this one, saying that it isn't as epic as the first album, and he doesn't even play that one at home. Scabies is also unhappy with the album and quits the band. An ad is put out in Melody Maker saying, The damned require a great drummer fast. Only people who feel they can handle the job straight away need apply. We want the best. Time wasters will be dealt with. The job goes to John Moss, future drummer for Culture Club. He will play with the band until their breakup a few months later. A couple things happen in February. First, they pick up Alan Edwards as the new manager. Next, Brian James decides they aren't going the direction he wants to and wants to split up the band. They played their farewell show at London's Rainbow on April 8, 1978. They had wanted to play at the Roundhouse, but it was already booked. For the encore, they had two drum kits, and Scabies joined the band, playing in unison with Moss. This was after spitting on him in true Scabies style, of course. And that seemed like that was it. Brian James went on to do a few other bands, such as Tansder Youth, Brian James and the Brains, and Lords of the New Church with Stiv Baders of the Dead Boys. Lou Edmonds and John Moss formed The Edge, though Moss would go on to play in Culture Club, and Edmonds would play in John Lydon's Public Image Limited. On August 22, 1978, Scabies plays a one-time show with Sid Vicious, Glenn Matlock, and Steve New in Vicious White Kids. Not the best name for a band, but it's not quite as bad as it sounds. They took the pieces of the name from each other's bands. Vicious from Sid Vicious, White from the White Cats, which was Scabies' band at the time, and Kids from Rich Kids, which was Steve New's band. Originally, it was to be called Sid Sods Off because he was headed for New York. They only had about 20 minutes of material, and so decided to play it twice with Nancy Spungen, Sid Vicious's girlfriend, singing backing vocals. She was, however, intentionally unplugged. In the crowd for this show was Scabies' former bandmate, Captain Sensible. Scabies goes on to form a new band consisting of Scabies, Vanian, Sensible, and believe it or not, Lemmy. Yes, the Lemmy of Motorhead and Hawkwind fame. Now, the story for Lemmy goes like this. He was often found at a club in London called Dingwalls. There, he would spend most of his time playing a slot machine until he was out of money. He'd then proceed to ask people, Lend me a fiver. So people started calling him Lemmy. Sensible switched from bass to guitar and keyboards at this point, and Lemmy is replaced by Henry Badowski, and then Algie Ward, real name Alistair Ward. Lemmy was great, but he had prior commitments, and that was established when they first started playing, so it wasn't a big surprise. Realizing that they were essentially three-fourths of the damned, they started playing shows under the name The Doomed to avoid any trademark issues. Brian James knew they were doing this and was interested, but wasn't really bothered by it. 
He figured they were worried about going by the damned because he owned the name, but he said he really just thought of it and didn't care if they went by the damned. Now that they were almost fully back together, they started playing their old songs, but with the addition of a cover of Ballroom Blitz. Trying to keep their heads above water, they went to Dave Robinson of Stiff to ask for financial support. They're met with laughter and being told to fuck off. They go on tour in France next. In France, they proceed to cause chaos everywhere they go. This includes destroying hotel rooms, breaking windows, swinging from curtains, setting curtains on fire, you name it. Scabies even took a shit in the acoustic guitar belonging to their supporting act. Scabies and Algae get arrested for setting off a Molotov cocktail outside the hotel, which is where the curtains on fire comes in. They're charged 2,000 pounds in damages, more than they'd make on the entire tour. After France, they return and play Ireland, Belfast, Scotland, and North England. Vanian missed the Scotland dates and was replaced temporarily by Gary Holton of Heavy Metal Kids, who messed up some of the lyrics and was thanked by Captain by peeing on him on stage. To cover for Vanian being absent, they told the crowd that he had died, and this was a memorial show for him. The band then records some new tracks. They record what would be one single with Love Song, Noise Noise Noise, and Suicide. The other recording is Smash It Up and Burglar. January 7, 1979, they play a show at Croydon's Greyhound. After this, they sign a deal with Chiswick Records for three years where they release the singles Love Song, and the other single being Smash It Up. Moving forward a few months to May 10th, the Damned play Top of the Pops for the first time. Here, they perform Love Song, which was becoming a huge hit. They are then invited back to play Top of the Pops again. 
Captain had planned to wear a wedding dress and pretend to marry Vanian, but they were told they couldn't do that because David Bowie was being promoted and they worried it would look like they were making fun of him for dressing in drag. After the success of Love Song, they were having trouble coming up with other new songs. There was an attempt to do a joint recording session with Motorhead, but that failed. Motorhead's drummer was getting too drunk to play and their guitarist was getting pissed off at Captain. Between the two bands, they each did their fair share of damage to the studio, which did not look good. The next week, they got serious. They recorded Anti-Pope, I Just Can't Be Happy Today, Looking at You, Machine Gun Etiquette, Melody Lee, Plan 9 Channel 7, and Smash It Up Parts 1-4. through From late May to June, they were back on tour, but it was difficult to find venues as many of them still didn't want punk bands to perform there. They began adding a cover of the Sex Pistols' Pretty Vacant to their set list. It was around the time of this tour that they further started finding their stage identities. Captain would often wear a Hawaiian shirt and beret, while Vanian had started wearing a bald cap and pointed ears, giving him a Nosferatu look. It's this look that earned him the nickname Creature within the band. The Damned then returned to America for another tour, which is not nearly as exciting for them as the last time. For an idea of what's happening within the band on the tour, let's consider a few details. Rat Scabies is pretty heavy into his drugs by now. Vanian doesn't seem like he wants to be there at all, and Captain is already getting fed up and annoyed with all things American. Mixing those things together, we end up with most of the U.S. shows ending in destruction of property and possibly yelling at the audience. At Los Angeles' Whiskey A Go-Go, the band gets booked for two nights, performing two sets each night. Night one, set two, ends up like this. Algie Ward plays most of the gig in the oh-so-exciting style of sitting cross-legged, Vanian sings most of the songs from the audience. Scabies plays some guitar until he hits a kid in the audience in the face, resulting in the audience yelling at him. And Captain returns the yells with his opinions about America. Ward then walks off the stage and Scabies destroys the drums. Pretty intense way to finish out your first night at a venue. A show in San Francisco's Old Waldorf doesn't go much better. Scabies is still out of his mind on drugs, and Captain again tells the audience what he thinks of America, calling the audience stinking American arsehole shit cunts. He then proceeded to piss off the stage's edge while the band tries to play neat, neat, neat. Captain then strips nude, as we've come to expect from him, and they play no fun by the Stooges until a metal chair is thrown from the audience, which hits Captain in the back of the head, resulting in a trip to the hospital for some stitches. Once they return to Britain, their manager, Rick Rogers, resigns to focus his attention on his other band, The Specials. Roger Armstrong takes over as manager now and gets them to work recording their next album. The third album from The Damned is Machine Gun Etiquette, released in 1979. The album is recorded at Wessex Studios at the same time that The Clash are there recording London Calling. Never letting up on his goofy behavior, Captain blows up a condom and writes something like, the Clash stink on it and leaves it in the recording studio when they are done with it and the Clash are going in. Supposedly, this pisses Mick Jones off enough that he refuses to do any recording until the condom is taken down. 
Recording goes fairly well for the band, except for the fact that Algie Ward kept coming in too drunk to play, and Captain Sensible had to record most of his parts for him, resulting in him only actually being on Liar and the intro to Love Song. Vanian also starts to find his goth voice in I Just Can't Be Happy Today. Listen to see if you can hear it coming through. Another notable song from this album is Plan 9, Channel 7, which is about a fictional love affair between Myla Nermi, who played Vampyra, and James Dean. The Damned get to perform Smash It Up, along with I Just Can't Be Happy Today on the Old Grey Whistle Test. They had been drinking before performing, and if you find the clip of them playing, you'll notice Vanian has the mic duct taped to his hand. This is due to the drinking, and was intended to stop him from dropping it. During the performance, you will also see Captain Sensible flip his keyboard over when the amplifiers stop working, and Rat Scabies completely destroys his drum kit. The clip ends with the host making a reference to The Who. The band sets out on tour yet again, pausing only to perform I Just Can't Be Happy Today on top of the Pops. The Misfits join them for one gig of the tour, but bail after that as problems immediately arise between them and Scabies. 1980, New Year's Day, Andy Ward receives a phone call from the band's manager letting him know that he's being fired from the band. According to Scabies, he was becoming too self-destructive. Ward says that he didn't like the way the band was going anyway. There is no mention of Ward being fired from the band until March 5th, when NME released a short mention that he had started his own three-piece metal band called Tank. He's replaced by Paul Gray, who had played in Eddie and the Hot Rods. Vanian decides to start taking vocal lessons from Glenn Jones at this time, and Rat and Captain feel the best way to welcome their new bass player is by renting a boat on Chiswick's dime and taking him out. They bring no instruments with them, but do make sure to hit as many waterside pubs as they can. Gray's boots get lit on fire and thrown overboard, and the boat is later found abandoned. Chiswick gets a letter letting them know that the boat had been found and was damaged, not surprisingly beyond the 20-pound deposit. Later that year, they begin touring Europe again. This time, they want their own coach, but the co-manager, Doug Smith, refuses and gets a minibus instead. Like violent toddlers, they try to get their way by destroying the minibus. They set the seats on fire and try to rip the roof off. Smith doesn't budge, however, and refuses to get them anything else. They have to do their tour in the minibus they've now damaged. To make matters worse, they find out that they are unknowingly drug mules on this tour. Yes, you heard that right. They are unknowingly drug mules. You see, the mafia had placed drugs in the van that the band didn't know about. This way, the band would transport the drugs across borders for the Mafia without ever even knowing it. 
Smith and the other co-manager, Tommy Crossan, are fired after this tour and are replaced by Peter Scarborough. May of that year, we get the release of The Dam's next single, a cover of White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane, with the B-side being Seagulls. Chiswick doesn't think a cover should be the next single, and so it is only released in France and Germany. For White Rabbit, they do a good job of keeping that psychedelic feel, but adding in their own damned sound. Have a listen. The next Damned album will be recorded in a rural area in South Wales called Rockfield. Alvin Clark is sent by the studio to produce this album, but Vanian fires him day one. They want to produce their own album this time. A tragic blow to the band came when they were getting ready to go out on tour starting on July 17th. They invite their friend Malcolm Owen along. Owen was a heroin addict, and they were attempting to help him get clean. His addiction to heroin had caused his dismissal from the ruts. Unfortunately, Owen was found dead on July 14th from an overdose, just three days before the tour was to begin. This hit the band pretty hard and may have contributed to rising issues among them, which was making it look like another breakup may be coming. Soon, they were back to Rockfield, though, to continue recording. Their next single was slated to be History of the World Part 1, which was produced by Hans Zimmer. Zimmer is now known as the composer for films such as Pirates of the Caribbean, Inception, The Dark Knight, and Gladiator, but at the time, he was relatively unknown. History of the World Part 1 nearly made it into the top 50, but peaked at number 51. Here's a clip. November 3rd, 1980 gives us the release of their next album, The Black Album. Not to be confused with Metallica, Prince, or Jay-Z, who also have an album titled The Black Album. I believe there was also a fairly recent Beatles compilation release called The Black Album as well. But no, we're talking about The Dam today, and so this was their Black Album, named as a play on the Beatles' White Album. This would be their last album with Chiswick. It was a double album with three sides being studio music and a fourth being live recordings from Shepperton. Side three consisted entirely of one song, Curtain Call, which had started as a four-minute song but grew to 17 minutes in recording. Here's a clip from Curtain Call. Keep in mind that is a short clip from a 17-minute song. There is so much more to that song than what I'm playing here. 
The American release of the Black Album was put out as a single album, eliminating Curtain Call in the live recordings. While still technically signed to Chiswick, The Damned signed with NEMS and put out a four-track EP in 1981 titled Friday the 13th. It includes Disco Man, Billy Bad Breaks, Limit Club, and a cover of the Rolling Stones' Citadel. This is released on the same day as another great record from The Damned, The Best of The Damned, and one week after Captain's solo EP, This Is Your Captain Speaking, which was put out on Crass Records. Captain had spent some time with Crass while recording this and found he enjoyed their food, leading him to become a vegetarian. Two weeks prior to the release of Friday the 13th, The Damned announced a national tour, bringing Roman Jug on tour to play keyboard. Checks from NEMS began bouncing on tour, though. NEMS would eventually fold due to financial problems in 1983. The tour finishes up December 6, 1981 in London with Black Flag opening for them. Captain was a fan of Black Flag, but the audience wasn't impressed. They spat on them and refused to applaud when they finished playing. Two weeks later, the damned find themselves playing with Black Flag again at Christmas on Earth, a punk festival at Leeds Queen's Hall where they headline to a crowd of around 7,000. At some point, there's a food fight between Black Flag and Captain Sensible, but the night ends in a drag for Black Flag as their rental van gets repossessed. The only bands who stick around to help them are the UK subs who help them load their gear and the damned who give them a lift back to London. With NEMS failing financially, the damned begin looking for a new label. They receive an offer from Bronze Records, but it's a low one. Paul Gray's girlfriend knows management at Bronze and convinces them to up the offer. She decides that she wants to manage the band, but Scabies isn't having it. He decides to manage the band himself. Bronze pays to have the damned record at RMS Studios, where they record their next singles Lovely Money and I Think I'm Wonderful, which are released in June of 1982 and reach 42 in the charts. Captain also releases a solo single around this time, which becomes an unexpected success. This is a cover of Happy Talk from the musical South Pacific. The band heads back to Rockfield. This time, Hugh Jones is brought in to record. While recording The Pleasure and the Pain, a song written by Paul Gray, an argument breaks out between Scabies and Gray about the song. Scabies punches Gray, who then goes and barricades himself in his room. Scabies leaves and heads back to London. These two do make up, but a line has been crossed now. Captain's solo career begins to gain some traction, which makes touring difficult for the damned. They decide to bring Andrew Miller in as the band's new manager. Miller was already managing Captain, so the idea was that this would help them when laying things out. The Damned now release their next single leading up to the release of their album, but it doesn't chart. This is Dozen Girls. Reaching number 15 on the album charts in 1982, we see the release of Strawberries, the Damned's only album to be put out on Bronze Records. The back cover of the album states, this is a synth-free album. The band starts touring again in October to promote the album, and now they are paying more attention to staging. 
Vanian wears a priest collar. A pulpit is put around the keyboards. Three female fans are brought on stage dressed as nuns. Vanian describes this as the dam's religious Sunday service. Roman Jug is now officially full-time keyboards. Occasionally, the damned would play Captain Sensible's happy talk as an encore. Captain had still been having to split his time between the damned and his solo career. He was getting more attention and sometimes better treatment because of it. This didn't sit very well with Scabies. Bringing in 1983, there were a few key changes to the band. Bronze Records had no idea how to market them and were beginning to run out of money. The damned jumped ship from Bronze in February. The next month, Paul Gray leaves the band to join UFO. Instead of telling them himself, he has UFO's manager inform the damned of his leaving. They were informed the day before leaving for tour, which would have been an issue, but the damned had seen something like this coming and brought on Bryn Merrick, a friend of Roman Jug, to play bass. The short notice did cause them to cancel their first three gigs of the tour, though. In 1984, they perform on BBC's The Young Ones. They go full goth style for this and are covered in cobwebs as they perform Nasty. The band brings in another new manager around this time. This one is Andy McQueen. They nearly get a deal with CBS. The first night that they come to see The Damned in Madrid, Captain doesn't show up though. When they come back, the show doesn't go well. The support act spills beer on the monitors and the sound is off. CBS dodges their phone calls for a while before finally saying that they're going to pass on the deal. Allegedly, what actually happened was Captain mentions to the A&R head, Muff Winwood, that he doesn't care about money, which makes Winwood not want to sign them, thinking they would just throw away the money spent on them, making it a bad investment. He also felt that Captain was too distracting from Vanian because of his Happy Feet persona. Although the deal with CBS falls through, another one presents itself with MCA. MCA has a new A&R guy named Steve Kuttner. Kuttner was a fan of The Damned and had even tried to sign them to Magnet years earlier. Kuttner sets up a meeting with the head of A&R, Lucian Grange, but Grange never shows up. Scabies blames McQueen, saying that he must have screwed something up, when in fact, Grange had just forgotten about the meeting. Scabies pushes for McQueen to be fired. Another major change for the band follows a show on August 4th at Brockwell Park. In support of the Greater London Council, which is in the process of being abolished, the damned play to 40,000 people. While leaving the stage, Captain gets hit in the groin by a bottle. Scabies, still pushing for McQueen to be fired, says that he is in breach of his contract now for not paying out wages requested. Captain, on the other hand, is still committed to McQueen, feeling McQueen is definitely committed to the band. All of this while the band is questioning how committed Captain is to the damned with his solo career. Later, Captain calls Roman Jug and tells him that he's quitting the band and that Jug should too. He also calls Vanian to let him know that he's quitting the band. Scabies, however, receives no call. Captain Sensible leaves the damned in 1984. 
Now, all of this sounds very dramatic and great for storytelling, but in reality this was most likely a financial move as Captain was making more money with his solo career and the balancing act between his solo career and the damned just wasn't working out. He's even said that there was no animosity with the band, and it was just business. Vanian even sent him a congratulations after he hits number one in the charts. One positive side effect of losing Captain was that the band became more serious. As fun as it is to have Captain on stage, he's a bit of a goof. The focus is now entirely on Vanian as there are no longer two frontmen competing for the attention. Jug is now switched to guitar to take over for Captain and is given three days to learn the entire set. On top of all of the changes to the band in 1984, they find themselves nearly out of money. I've seen it written that they had anywhere from 200 to 500 pounds between them all and had to make the choice to either split it and call it a day or invest it into the band. They decide to use the remaining money to record a rough demo of Grimly Fiendish, a song written by Jug. Grimly Fiendish was inspired by the British comic book character of the same name with a different spelling. This supposedly came about after Jug heard a radio DJ mention the character, asking if anyone remembered him. The demo is well-liked by Kuttner, who pays to have more tracks recorded. With this hit, they sign a deal with MCA on October 10th, not very long after the exit of Captain Sensible. The label was pretty nervous to sign The Damned, and understandably so. Similar to our episode on The Unseen, The Damned have spent a large part of their career breaking up and changing members. They were also terrified of Rat Scabies due to all of the stories surrounding him. This all changed when he showed up to sign, though, and the label turned into massive fans. The band changes managers again and brings in Andy Cheeseman. They now have better recordings of Grimly Fiendish and release it as their next single on March 18, 1985. This single is accompanied with an ad put out by the label which reads, After nine years, eleven managers, five labels, and numerous lunches, they're back with a great damned single. As further promotion, the first 4,000 sleeves are signed by the band. The song is well received by the press and a video is recorded for it. This is shown on BBC Two's Whistle Test. While recording the video, which has a lot of shots of Vanian walking around with a torch, he accidentally lights his hair and parted the set on fire. This understandably pisses Vanian off. Thanks to the praise of the video, the damned are brought back to the old grey whistle test to perform Grimly Fiendish. Unlike when they were there years earlier, they do not smash the set afterwards. Thinking about their next album, the band wants Bob Sargent to produce. The label decides they want John Kelly to produce instead. Scabies doesn't care for Kelly, but is convinced after they are allowed to record at the Who's Eel Pie Studio. Recording begins mid-April of 1985. Two months later, they release the single Shadow of Love on June 10th. The hour is late and you know the time waits for no one. Oh, 
video to go with this song has them in what appears to be a dollhouse with odd shots of a hand passing by the windows, a woman in a cloak, and what I assume is supposed to be a wolf. It's very odd, very 80s, and very fun to watch. The following month, we get the release of their next album, Phantasmagoria. Phantasmagoria sells over 60,000 copies, earning them a silver disc. Scabies gets emotional about this. He then gets drunk and lights Steve Kuttner's desk on fire, saying that is what they used to do because they were a punk band. All songs on this album give credit to every member of the band, the only difference being the order the members are named. They put them in order for who contributed the most to each song. This would give all members an equal share. Vanian is even credited on songs that have no vocals like the instrumental Trojans. Now, with the success of Phantasmagoria, the Damned are sent to residential Denmark to record their next album. At first, Vanian doesn't go. When he finally does show up, he has no lyrics. They end up racking up a bill of over £300,000 there. Kuttner leaves MCA while they are in Denmark. This leaves them with no supporters at the label as he was the main person going to bat for them. At this time, Stiff Records goes under and begins selling their catalog. This is where the damned get the idea to buy the rights to their music from Stiff. Captain doesn't see a point in paying for his own music and passes. Brian James doesn't have the money and doesn't want to take out a loan and so he passes too. The music is purchased by Scabies, Vanian, Jug, and Merrick. Jug and Merrick will later sell their portion to Scabies and Vanian. In 1986, we get the release of The Damned's next single, Eloise. A cover of Barry Ryan's 1968 hit, it is their most successful single yet and reaches number three in the UK. Every night I'm there, I'm always there, she knows I'm there, and heaven knows. I hope she goes I find it hard To realize that love was in her eyes It's dying now She knows I'm crying Following the success of Eloise, the album Anything is released. It is unfortunately a commercial failure. They have now really strongly embraced the gothic rock style which can make shows interesting to play with a mix of fans. The album also included In Dolce Decorum, which was a track originally intended for the Miami Vice 2 soundtrack. January 23, 1987, they release another single, Gigolo. Another odd music video featuring the band surrounded by rabbits and stuffed animals. The studio still wants more from the band and is pushing for another album. This is becoming very tiring for the damned. On top of this, MCA needs to make up for the high cost of recording in Denmark, so they decide to release another single, Alone Again Or.
For this, MCA decides to send The Damned, who are mid-tour by the way, to Broken Hill, Australia to record a music video. Broken Hill is where Mad Max was filmed, if the video looks at all familiar to you. On the way there, the pilot actually falls asleep and has to be woken by Jug. To help make up for the cost of recording in Denmark, Scabies gets the idea to sell their catalog that they had purchased from Stiff to MCA. MCA only wants the singles that had been a success, however, and then releases a best-of album called Light at the End of the Tunnel. In February of 1987, The Book of the Damned, Light at the End of the Tunnel, is released. This is an official biography which adds another first to the Damned's list. They are now the first UK punk band to have an official book about them. In June of 1988, the Damned are officially dropped by MCA. They then release a statement saying that they didn't want to be promoted as a pop band and would be parting ways with Andy Cheeseman. Brian James and Captain Sensible rejoined the Damned briefly that same month for some reunion gigs. They would play one set doing songs from Damned, 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 and then James would step out while Captain took over guitar to do material from Machine Gun Etiquette and The Black Album. Brian James would then join them again for the encore. This is all recorded at the London Town and County Club and would be released in 1989 as the live album Final Damnation. After this, Scabies goes to America to try to set up a record deal for the band, but instead comes back with a tour lined up. He is met with unfortunate news, however. He meets up with the band at a cafe where Vanian informs him that he is leaving the band. Jug and Merrick also inform him that they will no longer be doing The Damned, but will continue to work with Vanian. This is essentially just them kicking Scabies out of the band and changing the name. They will be the Phantom Chords. Scabies gets them to agree to do the tour still, and then tells them to pay for his meal before leaving the cafe. Okay, that's one side of the story for how it happened. Scabies recalls it differently, saying that they came to his house to tell him all of this and brought a biker friend of theirs for security. No idea which of these stories really happened, they both sound completely possible and the outcome is the same, so take your pick on which to believe. The band then does a farewell tour with the original lineup called The Final Curtain. Even though the band is no longer together, 1990 sees the release of two more singles. The record company that owned these had declared bankruptcy and had caused them to not be released for nearly nine years. These are Fun Factory, which had the lineup of Scabies, Gray, Vanian, and Captain Sensible, and Prokofiev, with the lineup of Scabies, Vanian, and James. In 1991, the Damned have yet another reunion tour with the original lineup. This time, they are touring the U.S. for their 15-year anniversary. During the third gig, before playing New Rose, Captain announces, This one's written by Guns N' Roses. As they knew that Guns N' Roses was considering covering it, which would have been a big deal for Brian James as he wrote it. James gets pissed off at the joke, throws down his guitar, and leaves the stage. He bails on the tour, and they have to continue to tour without him into the summer of 92. In 1993, they reform again with a new lineup of Scabies, Vanian, Chris Dollimore of The Godfathers, Alan Lee Shaw, and Moose Harris of New Model Army. They debut on BBC Radio 1's Mark Radcliffe show, November 23rd. They have three new songs here, Testify, Never Could Believe, and I Need a Life. Also in 93, Guns N' Roses do release a cover of New Rose on their album The Spaghetti Incident. In 95, they are covered again, this time by The Offspring, who cover Smash It Up for the Batman Forever soundtrack. 
1995, they released the album Not of This Earth. It is promoted with long tours, and until just recently would be the last album that Scabies would perform on with The Damned. By the time this album is released, the band had already split up again. Captain and Vanian claimed that Scabies released the album without authorization from them. Vanian claims that these demos were to be used for a future album that would include Brian James and Captain Sensible. He said it shouldn't be a damned album, and even wanted his vocals erased from it. The following year, Captain Sensible rejoins Vanian to reform The Damned without Scabies. Originally, Paul Gray is back on bass, but he is replaced by Patricia Morrison, formerly of Bags, The Gun Club, and Sisters of Mercy. Gray left the band after a glass hits him in the face at one of their gigs. If you're thinking these guys are unlucky with glasses being thrown at them, there are rumors that past members of the band had planted people in the audience at shows to throw glasses at them. There is absolutely no evidence of this, but it's a fun conspiracy theory nonetheless. Changes to the band seem to nearly be at a constant at this point in their career. Vanian marries Morrison. They bring in Gary Dreadful on drums and Monty Oxymoron on the keyboard. Dreadful had been the drummer for Captain Sensible's solo career. Scabies claims that he has the rights to the name The Damned, and so they briefly go by Dave Vanian and Captain Sensible X Damned. By September, they're going by The Damned again, though. December of 1998, Dreadful leaves the band and is replaced by Spike T. Smith, who debuts in February of 99. Smith is out by September and is replaced by Andy Pinch Pinching. He is the one in the Don't You Wish That We Were Dead documentary who mentions the idea of people being planted in the audience to throw glasses at the band. He's also the founding member of English Dogs. Smith goes on to perform with Morrissey. In 2001, they release Grave Disorder on Nitro Records. Nitro is run by Dexter Holland, lead singer of The Offspring. Holland was already a huge fan of The Damned. They do a lot of touring to promote this album. In 2002, they do a brief U.S. tour with Rob Zombie, but drop off. They do perform Warp Tour that summer. On the performances with Rob Zombie, Sensible says gothic punk is completely lost on predominantly metal crowds. Personally, I can see where he's coming from on that one. February 9th, 2004, Morrison and Vanian have a daughter named Emily. Morrison drops out of the band, but stays on as a manager. She's replaced by Stu West. In 2008, they release So Who's Paranoid? October 28th, it is released as a digital download. November 10th, it's released in the UK. And December 9th, it is released in the US. It's promoted with a 23-day UK tour. The band continues touring over the next few years, including supporting Motorhead in 2009 for their UK leg of a world tour, and they play South America for the first time in 2012. Both Bryn Merrick and Paul Gray develop throat cancer. They end up in the same cancer ward. At the time of this recording, Gray is still alive, but sadly Merrick passed away September 12, 2015. He had been playing in a Ramones tribute band called The Shemones. On September 24, 2016, Dave Vanian and Brian James appear on stage together for the first time since 1991. This is for both the 40-year anniversary of British punk as well as the 40-year anniversary of the 100 Club Punk Festival. Vanian and James are not performing, however. They're being interviewed. September 11, 2017, it is announced that Stu West will be leaving the band. He will be replaced by former bassist Paul Gray. April 13, 2018, they released the album Evil Spirits, which reaches number 7 in the UK Top 10 Albums Chart. 
This is the highest any of their albums has reached. Finally, October 16th, 2020, they released the Rockfield Files EP, which consists of four tracks. October 21st, they announced a tour consisting of Vanian, Scabies, Sensible, and James. This is the first time these four will be playing together in over 20 years. Due to COVID-19, the tour had to be pushed back to 2022. Alright, that's it. That was a long one, and I hope it was worth the wait for everyone. I know it's about a month behind when you were expecting it, but you can see it's more than twice the length of the usual episodes. There was just so much about this band, and the fact that they've been going nearly non-stop for over 40 years just packs in the stories. If you want more on The Damned, there are some great music videos out there and interviews. The documentary Don't You Wish That We Were Dead is a fun watch. They don't talk much on the feud with Scabies, but you can definitely sense it for part of the interviews. My main source came from the book Smashing It Up, A Decade of Chaos with the Damned by Kieran Tyler. Its main focus is the first 10 years of the Damned and is really well put together. If they happen to be touring at the time you're listening to this, try and go check them out. Take some photos for the website, which is now up. Let's talk punk.com. So, a special thanks to all you punk rockers out there for listening to the show, even with the unexpected month-long hiatus. Thank you for your support and patience. Don't forget to leave a 5-star review for the show. Words would be nice, but the stars are also appreciated. It's a good place to mention bands you'd like me to cover in the future as well. Also, talk to people. Word of mouth helps the show tremendously. Got a friend who's into punk? Maybe likes The Damned? Tell them to check out the show. As always, thank you to Granddaddy Long Greg for the show's logo. I have that thing printed on so much stuff at my home. If you like a hoodie, shirt, pillow, whatever with the logo on it, check the show notes or head over to the website for a link to the Tee Public account where it's all made. If you want to support the show in another way, you can head over to the Patreon and sign up there. I'll post notifications, updates, polls about the direction of the show, etc. there. This is still a one-man operation, so every little bit of support helps. Keeping in touch just got easier. As I said, there is now a website. Letstalkpunk.com is the site. There, you can find a link to the merch site as well as Patreon. There are a couple pictures up already. Please feel free to send in pictures of yours, or artwork even. I'll get stories posted as well as they come in. There's also the contact page with my email and social media. Other than the website, the old methods still exist. My Twitter is at Let's Talk Punk. That's Let's underscore Talk underscore Punk. I have a Facebook page as well, which I don't do enough with, but I do check it. So feel free to contact me there. And as always, I check the email regularly, so email me at letstalkpunkrock at gmail.com. That's letstalkpunkrock at gmail.com. That is probably the best place to contact me with questions or to let me know that I got something wrong so I can make corrections. It's also where to send your pictures, artwork, and stories for the website. Okay. And finally, we've come to that final part, hints for our next episode. They were formed in Los Angeles in 1998. They have a female singer. And finally, they took a 12-year pause between 2006 and 2018. Think you know who it is? I bet some of you out there do. Let me know on social media. Alright, that's it. I'll catch you on the flip side.